0: Section three of The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sage Turtle. The Cricket on the Hearth by Charles Dickens. Oh, you are here, are you? Wait a bit, I'll take you home. John Peerybingle, my service to you. More of my service to your pretty wife. "'Handsomer every day. Better, too, if possible. And younger,' mused the speaker in a low voice. "'That's the devil of it.' "'I should be astonished at your paying compliments, Mr. Tackleton,' said Dot, "'not with the best grace in the world. But for your condition.' "'You know all about it, then?' "'I have got myself to believe it, somehow,' said Dot. "'After a hard struggle, I suppose. Very.' tackleton the toy merchant pretty generally known as gruff and tackleton for that was the firm though gruff had been bought out long ago only leaving his name and as some said his nature according to its dictionary meaning in the business tackleton the toy merchant was a man whose vocation had been quite misunderstood by his parents and guardians if they had made him a money-lender or a sharp attorney or a sheriff's officer or a broker he might have sown his discontented oats in his youth and after having had the full run of himself in ill-natured transactions might have turned out amiable at least for the sake of a little freshness and novelty but cramped and chafing in the peaceable pursuit of toy-making he was a domestic ogre who had been living on children all his life and was their implacable enemy he despised all toys wouldn't have bought one for the world delighted in his malice to insinuate grim expressions onto the faces of brown paper farmers who drove pigs to market bell men who advertised lost lawyers' consciences movable old ladies who darned stockings or carved pies and other like samplings of his stock and trade In appalling masks, hideous, hairy, red-eyed Jackson boxes, vampire kites, demonical tumblers who wouldn't lie down, and were perpetually flying forward to stare infants out of countenance. His soul perfectly reveled. They were his only relief and safety valve. He was great in such inventions. Anything suggestive of a pony nightmare was delicious to him. He'd even lost money and he took to that toy very kindly by getting up goblin slides from magic lanterns whereon the powers of darkness were depicted as a sort of supernatural shellfish with human faces. In intensifying the portraiture of giants, he had sunk quite a little capital, and though no painter himself, he could indicate for the instruction of his artists with a piece of chalk a certain furtive for the countenances of these monsters which was safe to destroy the peace of mind of any young gentleman between the ages of six and eleven for the whole christmas or midsummer vacation what he was in toys he was as most men are in other things you may easily suppose therefore that within the great green cape which reached down to the calves of his legs there was buttoned up to the chin an uncommonly pleasant fellow and that he was about as choice a spirit and as agreeable a companion as ever stood in a pair of bull-headed looking boots with mahogany-coloured tops still tackleton the toy merchant was going to be married in spite of all this he was going to be married and to a young wife too a beautiful young wife He didn't look much like a bridegroom as he stood in the carrier's kitchen with a twist in his dry face and a screw in his body and his hat jerked over the bridge of his nose and his hands tucked down into the bottoms of his pockets and his whole sarcastic, ill-conditioned self peering out of one little corner of one little eye like the concentrated essence of any number of ravens. But a bridegroom he designed to be. In three days' time, next Thursday, the last day of the first month in the year—that's my wedding day," said Tackleton. "Did I mention that he always had one eye wide open and one eye nearly shut, and that the one eye nearly shut was always the expressive eye? I don't think I did. That's my wedding day," said Tackleton, rattling his money. "Why, it's our wedding day too!" exclaimed the carrier. "Ha <laughs> ha!" laughed Tackleton. "'Odd, you're just such another couple, just—' "'The indignation of Dot at this presumptuous assertion "'is not to be described. "'What next? "'His imagination would compass the possibility "'of just such another baby, perhaps. "'The man was mad!' "'I say, a word with you,' murmured Tackleton, "'nudging the carrier with his elbow "'and taking him a little apart. "'You'll come to the wedding. "'We're in the same boat, you know.' "'How, in the same boat?' inquired the carrier. "'A little disparity, you know,' said Tackleton with another nudge. "'You haven't spent an evening with us beforehand.' "'Why?' demanded John, astonished at this pressing hospitality. "'Why?' returned the other. "'That's a new way of receiving an invitation. "'Why, for pleasure, sociability, you know, and all that.' "'I thought you were never sociable,' said John in his plain way. (laughs) "'It's of no use to be anything but free with you, I see,' said Tackleton. "'Why, then, the truth is you have a—' "'What? Tea-drinking people call a sort of comfortable appearance together. "'You and your wife, we know better, you know, but—' "'No, we don't know better,' interposed John. "'What are you talking about?' well we don't know better then said tackleton we'll agree that we don't as you like what does not matter i was going to say as you have that sort of appearance your company will produce a favourable effect on mrs tackleton that will be "'And though I don't think your good lady's very friendly to me in this matter, "'still she can't help herself from falling into my views, "'for there's a compactness and coziness of appearance about her "'that always tells, even in an indifferent case. "'You'll say you'll come.' "'We have arranged to keep our wedding day, as far as that goes, at home,' said John. "'We have made the promise to ourselves these six months. "'We think, you see, that home—' Ma, ah, what's home? cried Tackleton. Four walls and a ceiling. Why don't you kill that cricket? I would, I always do. I hate their noise. There are four walls and a ceiling at my house. Come to me. You kill your crickets, eh? said John. Scrunch 'em, sir, returned the other, setting his heel heavily on the floor. You'll say you'll come it's as much your interest as mine you know that the women should persuade each other that they're quiet and contented and couldn't be better off i know their way whatever one woman says another woman is determined to clinch always there's that spirit of emulation among them sir that if your wife says to my wife i'm the happiest woman in the world and mine's the best husband in the world and i dote on him my wife will say the same to yours or more and half believe it do you mean to say she don't then asked the carrier don't cried tackleton with a short sharp laugh (laughs) don't what the carrier had some faint idea of adding dote upon you but happening to meet the half-closed eye as it twinkled upon him over the turned-up collar of the cape which was within an ace of poking it out he felt it such an unlikely part and parcel of anything to be doted on that he substituted that she don't believe it ah you dog you're joking said tackleton but the carrier though slow to understand the full drift of his meaning eyed him in such a serious manner that he was obliged to be a little more explanatory I have the humor, said Tackleton, holding up the fingers of his left hand and tapping the forefinger to imply. There I am, Tackleton to wit. I have the humor, sir, to marry a young wife and a pretty wife. Here he rapped his little finger to express the bride, not sparingly but sharply with a sense of power. I'm able to gratify that humor, and I do. It's my whim, but now look here. He pointed to where Dot was sitting thoughtfully before the fire, leaning her dimpled chin upon her hand and watching the bright blaze. The carrier looked at her, and then at him, and then at her, and then at him again. "'She honors and obeys, no doubt, you know,' said Tackleton. "'And that, as I am not a man of sentiment, is quite enough for me. But do you think there's anything more in it?' "'I think,' observed the carrier.' That I should chuck any man out of window who said there wasn't. Exactly so, returned the other with an unusual alacrity of assent. To be sure, doubtless he would. Of course, I'm certain of it. Good night, pleasant dreams! The carrier was puzzled and made uncomfortable and uncertain in spite of himself. He couldn't help showing it in his manner. Good night, my dear friend, said Tackleton compassionately. I'm off. We're exactly alike in reality, I see you won't give us tomorrow evening well next day you go out visiting i know i'll meet you there and bring my wife that is to be it'll do her good you're agreeable thank ye what's that It was a loud cry from the carrier's wife, a loud, sharp, sudden cry that made the room ring like a glass vessel. She had risen from her seat and stood like one transfixed by terror and surprise. The stranger had advanced toward the fire to warm himself and stood within a short stride of her chair, but quite still. "'Dot!' cried the carrier. "'Mary, darling, what's the matter?' they were all about her in a moment caleb who had been dozing on the cake box in the first imperfect recovery of his suspended presence of mind seized miss slowboy by the hair of her head but immediately apologized mary exclaimed the carrier supporting her in his arms are you ill what is it tell me dear she only answered by beating her hands together and falling into a wild fit of laughter Then, sinking from his grasp upon the ground, she covered her face with her apron and wept bitterly, and then she laughed again, and then she cried again, and then she said how cold she was, and suffered him to lead her to the fire where she sat down as before, the old man standing as before, quite still. "'I'm better, John,' she said. "'I'm quite well now. I—' "'John!' But John was on the other side of her. Why turn her face toward the strange old gentleman as if addressing him? Was her brain wandering? Only a fancy, John, dear. A kind of shock, a something coming suddenly before my eyes. I don't know what it was. It's quite gone, quite gone. I'm glad it's gone, murmured Tackleton, turning the expressive eye all round the room. I wonder where it's gone and what it was. (laughs) Caleb, come here, who's that with the grey hair? I don't know, sir, returned Caleb in a whisper. Never seen him before in all my life. A beautiful figure for a nutcracker, quite a new model. With a screw jaw opening down into his waistcoat, he'd be lovely. Not ugly enough, said Tackleton. Or for a firebox either, observed Caleb in deep contemplation. What a model. Unscrew his head to put the matches in? Turn him heels upwards for the light. What a firebox! A gentleman's mantelshelf just as he stands. Not half ugly enough, said Tackleton. Nothing in him at all. Come, bring that box. All right now, I hope. Oh, quite gone, quite gone, said the little woman, waving him hurriedly away. Good night. Good night said tackleton good night john Peerybingle. take care how you carry that box caleb let it fall and i'll murder you dark as pitch and weather worse than ever eh good night so with another sharp look round the room he went out at the door followed by caleb with the wedding cake on his head the carrier had been so much astounded by his little wife and so busily engaged in soothing and tending her that he had scarcely been conscious of the stranger's presence until now "'when he again stood there, their only guest. "'He don't belong to them, you see,' said John. "'I must give him a hint to go.' "'I beg your pardon, friend,' said the old gentleman, advancing to him. "'The more so, as I fear your wife has not been well. "'But the attendant whom my infirmity,' he touched his ears and shook his head, "'renders almost indispensable, not having arrived. "'I fear there must be some mistake.' THE BAD NIGHT WHICH MADE THE SHELTER OF YOUR COMFORTABLE CART. MAY I NEVER HAVE A WORSE. SO ACCEPTABLE IS STILL AS BAD AS EVER. WOULD YOU IN YOUR KINDNESS SUFFER ME TO RENT A BED HERE? YES, YES, CRIED DOT. YES, CERTAINLY. OH, SAID THE CARRIER, SURPRISED BY THE RAPIDITY OF THIS CONSENT. WELL, I DON'T OBJECT, BUT I'M STILL NOT QUITE SURE THAT- HUSH, SHE INTERRUPTED. DEAR JOHN. WHY, HE'S STONE DEAF urged john i know he is but yes sir certainly yes certainly i'll make him up a bed directly john as she hurried off to do it the flutter of her spirits and the agitation of her manner were so strange that the carrier stood looking after her quite confounded did its mothers make it up a beds then cried miss slowboy to the baby and did its hair grow brown and curly when its caps was lifted off and frightened it up precious pets as sitting by the fires that unaccountable attraction of the mind trifles which is often incidental to a state of doubt and confusion the carrier as he walked slowly to and fro found himself mentally repeating even these absurd words many times so many times that he got them by heart and was still conning them over and over like a lesson when tilly after administering as much friction to the little bald head with her hand as she thought wholesome according to the practice of nurses had once more tied the baby's cap on and frightened it a precious pets as sitting by the fires what frightened tot i wonder mused the carrier pacing to and fro he scouted from his heart the insinuations of the toy merchant and yet they filled him with a vague indefinite uneasiness for tackleton was quick and sly and he had that painful sense himself of being a man of slow perception that a broken hint was always worrying to him He certainly had no intention in his mind of linking anything that Tackleton had said with the unusual conduct of his wife, but the two subjects of reflection came into his mind together, and he could not keep them asunder. The bed was soon made ready, and the visitor, declining all refreshment but a cup of tea, retired. Then, Dot, quite well again, she said, quite well again, arranged the great chair in the chimney-corner for her husband, filled his pipe and gave it to him, and took her usual little stool beside him on the hearth she always would sit on that little stool i think she must have had a kind of notion that it was a coaxing wheedling little stool she was out and out the very best filler of a pipe i should say in the four quarters of the globe to see her put that chubby little finger in the bowl then blow down the pipe to clear the tube and when she had done so affect to think that there was really something in the tube and blow a dozen times and hold it to her eye like a telescope with a most provoking twist in her capital little face as she looked down it it was quite a brilliant thing as to the tobacco she was perfect mistress of the subject and her lighting of the pipe with a wisp of paper when the carrier had it in his mouth going so very near his nose and yet not scorching it was art high art and the cricket and the kettle turning up again acknowledged it the bright fire blazing up again acknowledged it the little mower on the clock in his unheeded work acknowledged it the carrier in his smoothing forehead and expanding face acknowledged it the readiest of all and as he somberly and thoughtfully puffed at his old pipe and as the dutch clock ticked and as the red fire gleamed and as the cricket chirped that genius of his hearth and home for such the cricket was came out in fairy shape into the room and summoned many forms of home about him dots of all ages and all sizes filled the chamber dots who were merry children running on before him gathering flowers in the fields coy dots half shrinking from half yielding to the pleading of his own rough image newly married dots alighting at the door and taking wondering possession of the household keys motherly little dots attended by fictitious slow boys bearing babies to be christened Matronly dots, still young and blooming, watching dots of daughters as they danced at rustic balls, fat dots, encircled and beset by troops of rosy grandchildren, withered dots who leaned on sticks and tottered as they crept along. Old carriers, too, appeared with blind old boxers lying at their feet, and newer carts with younger drivers, Peerybingle brothers on the tilt and sick old carriers tended by the gentlest hands, and graves of dead and gone old carriers green in the churchyard. And as the cricket showed him all these things, he saw them plainly, though his eyes were fixed upon the fire. The carrier's heart grew light and happy, and he thanked his household gods with all his might and cared no more for Gruff and Tackleton than you do but what was that young figure of a man which the same fairy cricket set so near her stool and which remained there singly and alone why did it linger still so near her with its arm upon the chimney-piece ever repeating married and not to me oh dot oh failing dot there is no place for it in all your husband's visions why has its shadow Fallen on his hearth. End of Chirp the First, Part Three. Read by Sage Turtle of Quirky Nomads.com